0: NFL Week 9 Pick Show, and guys, it's probably our highest volume betting card of the season so far, and as pro bettors, I'd love it. Scott, if you could go first, speaking to the ebb and flow of volume of bets week to week over the course of the season.
1: Yeah, Matt. Uh, I'd You know, who knows? You never know when it's going to come and go. I, I know two things. Like you said, there's just an ebb and flow, and the other thing that seems to happen every year at the end of the year, when you go back, if you've had a good year... It seems like the majority of your uh, successes and your units won sometimes come in three or four weeks, and, and that's it. And the rest of the season is kind of a wash, maybe slightly down, slightly up. So you never know when it's going to come. Um, it's just come sometimes, and this does seem to be a week where uh, there's a little bit more opportunity than there has been the last few weeks, which is great.
0: Yeah, yeah you know, you're a 100%. percent our guy so far this season, so how do you look at it?
2: I, you're 100% correct. It's it's fascinating because I went through the previous five and six years of, of my betting record. And it's shocking how back and forth, back and forth most weeks are. And it comes down to just two or three weeks over the course of the season. Uh, and it could be in each year. It's a different time of year that make your season. And it's, it's you know, if whatever system you're following in NFL, if you're following other people or you're, you're sticking with some sort of a program, you, you really just have to stick with it, not pop in and out, uh, you know, stick with whatever uh, whatever you think is going to work for you.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of the natural ebb and flow involved in all this, Scott, did you want to jump back in with one more point there?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll just point one other thing out. You know, obviously we're in a 17-week season now, but we've had 16 weeks forever, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, um, you know, I'll have six or seven losing weeks uh, and then whatever else the difference is winning weeks, maybe a wash week or two. But really, for me, what I've noticed, what makes your season that much better or that much worse, if you will, is the losing weeks. You know, if I'm just one game under 500, maybe two games under 500, uh, traditionally, I'm going to have a pretty good year. And obviously, if you have that one in four, one in five week, then, uh, you know, it's not nearly nearly as good. That's the other thing. It's if you can control the dips, because we're all going to have weeks where we're negative, but you control that, which kind of speaks to not forcing the play and just letting the plays come to you. It allows you to have a one and two, a two and three week, uh, as opposed to a two and five week. And at the end of the year, all that stuff adds up. It does. Yeah.
0: Well, we know that it's not always easy here, and uh, sometimes losing weeks will be part of this endeavor, but we can take a look at our records so far this season and see that it's been a lot of winning weeks so far, so we'll certainly look to keep that going. Chris, 21 and 19 on the season so far, myself, 16 and 10, Scott, 15 and 8, collectively, 52 and 37. So we'll do our best to keep that rolling as we work through the week nine card, including a lot of best bets throughout the show. A couple housekeeping items before we dive in. First off, if you're joining us on YouTube, go ahead and give this video a quick thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and jump in that chat. Let us know who you like as we talk about our bets for Week 9. And if you really like any teams and want to get and play yourself, you can always sign up today at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 for a 125% signup bonus. And for more information on that offer, check out the link below this video. Guys let's dive into the week nine card and first up in the early window on Sunday a barn burner Houston traveling to Miami the Dolphins currently laying five and a half total 46 and while this isn't the most appealing matchup so to speak we do have a unanimous play here Chris kick us off who do we like this week?
2: You know this is a good point to make a reminder of being able to pivot off of teams that you like and Miami was my bread and butter all last year and uh I started the season on Miami, I believe, uh, but they became bad fast and they've been bread and and butter, uh, betting against them this season. So, uh, there's no loyalty in sports betting. Uh, both of these teams are bad. They are both either number 31 or 32 in my rankings, offensively, defensively, and overall, uh, in that type of a situation, how can a team be laying points uh, that of any significance whatsoever? I took plus seven earlier in the week. Uh, the line is down to plus five and a half now. Uh, I have no choice but to take Houston, and and we get the added bonus of Tyrod uh, Tyrod Taylor coming uh, back, and and he can he should be a boost for the team. So uh, both of these teams are are nearly identical in results. They both lost about three points of value versus the average team over the last five weeks and average team over the last five weeks. And uh, although it didn't work out well last year, it works out or last week, it works out well over the course of the season. Don't bet bad teams unless you're getting points from another bad team. So I'm on Houston this week.
0: Yeah, and I'm on Houston as well. You and Scott have sold me here. That's the beauty of doing this show with you guys. I've been mulling this over throughout the course of the week, but the chance to go ahead and take the five and a half now, um, I'm in on it with you guys. I will say one thing that gave me some pause over the course of the week, Miami, in a spot where now they only have one road game until after Christmas, and they're not going to be leaving the Eastern time zone during that stretch, so they could be due for a bit of a rebound after a really rough first half of the season. That said, although they're pretty much home through Christmas, they've got to be on the naughty list with how they've played through the first eight weeks. So, Scott, why don't you let us know why you're on the Texans as well?
1: Yeah, I I like Houston here a lot, Matt. Um, And the Tyrod Taylor thing is a big thing. You know, even without him, I don't know if I would have played it because I'm a little down on Davis Mills for obvious reasons. But Taylor's a huge boost. And I got to believe the team just as a whole is going to have a little extra momentum here knowing that they're getting somebody that can throw them the ball and and be very good for them. So in the first, you know, he played one and a half games this year before he got hurt. He averaged 9.2 yards a pass in those one and a half games, albeit a a small sample size. Davis Mills averaged 5.4 yards a pass. That's a dramatic difference. Um, He didn't throw an interception, speaking of Tyrod Taylor. uh, But historically, uh, over his career, he has an interception rate of 1.4%. Davis Mills' interception rate looking here is 3.8%. That just alone, forget about everything else, projecting how many pass attempts maybe Houston throws in this game, that's probably worth about four points right there just on the turnover standpoint. And then they both carry a a pretty similar sack rate, uh, at least in terms of Taylor on his career. He's close to 9% sack rate. Davis Mills was like 8.7%, I think. So, um, you know, the one thing with Taylor – he has not thrown interceptions in his career, but he has taken more sacks. But, again, those sacks are very close to what Davis Mills uh, was, was taking this year as well. So there, it's not going to be anything different there. And then it, just looking at this, Miami has allowed 23 points in every single game this year uh, other than that first game. Houston, bad defense as well. They've allowed 21 or more. But I like Houston over the team total points here of 19 and a half points. I think they can get to 20. If you don't have team total points available – the alternative here would be the game total over 46, 46 and a half. I think that's still a very good play under the key number of 47. But I definitely like Houston uh, with Tyrod Taylor here uh, getting the five and a half. It's a lot of points uh, for against a team that's just almost as bad as, as Houston, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, and one follow-up for you, Scott, on that breakdown, talking about Taylor not turning the ball over. And the flip side of that over the course of his career has been that he doesn't perhaps take enough chances and make enough big plays. But do you see the lack of turnovers as the bigger factor in that equation in this one, knowing that you don't need spectacular plays to beat the Dolphins, you just want to be the team that doesn't mess things up?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, turnovers are, are an absolute killer, of course. And, you know, in the first, again, it's one and a half games, so it's a very small sample size, but, um, you know, he was averaging 9.2 yards a pass. So he was, you know, and I, don't, I didn't look back. I don't know if those are yards after catch necessarily uh, or not, but he was getting the ball down the field in one way uh, or another in that small sample size. So, you know, he might be able to do that in this game as well. But, yeah, I, I think so, Matt. I mean, like I said, that's that's a four-point difference if nothing else happens in this game. Uh, and that's crucial. And if he can represent like he did in those first one-and-a-half games, uh, Houston has a le- legitimate chance to win this game. I favor Miami by, like, 0.3 points in this game. So uh, I think they can easily win this game. I've got him scoring 23-and-a-half, 24 points. That's well over the 19-and-a-half team total that's juiced. Uh, even 20-and-a-half half uh, you know, non juice would be okay. And again, if you don't have that, you could know, play the game total over as well.
0: Yeah, well, not the most sexy matchup from a viewing perspective, but plenty of betting value that we're seeing in this Texans-Dolphins matchup. And from one game with the quarterback making his return this Sunday to another, let's talk Denver at Dallas. The Cowboys getting Dak Prescott back. Currently laying double digits, some reduced vig attached to that minus ten, total forty nine and a half. And Scott, how do you see this one shaping up on Sunday?
1: You know, I make the number nine and a half, and let's just call it fifty two for the total. Uh, So pretty close to where we're seeing. Obviously, a little advantage to the over there. The one thing I'll point out that I've noticed with Dallas is uh, in the eleven of the last fourteen games that Dak has started at home for the Cowboys. So this goes back to the beginning of 2019. Uh, They've scored 31 or more points in those games. They score a lot of points at home. Uh, And he scored 44 against the Giants earlier this year, just a few weeks ago. The other thing to note here, Denver has faced two good passing offenses this year. They lost by 16 at home to Baltimore, lost by 10 at home to the Raiders. And now they're going to get another good passing offense here in Dallas. Uh, at a team total of 29 and a half, uh, I'm not making this an official play because I know C.D. Lamb is a little banged up. We're going to see uh, if they get uh, uh, the other receiver back for them as well. So I want to wait on that. But assuming they're full go, uh, a team total of 29 and a half. I've got Dallas scoring about 31, so we've got a little bit of value there. I would maybe look at the team total uh, over the 29 and a half as well.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, another team total potentially to put in play for this weekend. Uh, For this one, I don't have any official plays to offer. I would just say that a big factor, of course, for the Cowboys is getting Dak back in the fold. And for that Broncos defense, losing Von Miller, that could be a big blow. And with the Cowboys last week, it was really impressive not just looking at the final score, but the fact that with their backup quarterback, they lost a turnover battle by two turnovers and still beat the Vikings outright on the road. So, a lot to like about Dallas, but I think that's reflected in the number at this stage. There was some teaser value earlier in the week that, Chris, I know you got in play on, but at this stage, how do you look at the Broncos-Cowboys showdown on Sunday?
2: Yeah, that's the only way I could really look in this game. I think the Von Miller trade was actually very good. They got two draft picks for somebody they were going to dump at the end of the year anyway, so... This, it isn't uh, my initial reaction was that oh my god, they're bailing on him uh, but you know he's not the same player he was uh, before. I mean he's got a little bit left in the tank but to get to a second and third round pick is is, is a really good deal for Denver. Uh, Denver's lost 4.5 points in value versus the average team over the last five weeks on my my model and Dallas has gained 1.25. I have this line at 9.5 no value for me.
0: Got it. Well, when that's the case, we can go ahead and move on. Talk about the team that the Cowboys beat last week, Minnesota, traveling to Baltimore, where the Ravens are laying six, total of 50. And Chris, this is the first leg for you in a money line parlay. Um,
2: yeah, it, this Minnesota, they, they have problems. Everything's coming to a head uh, this week. Uh, Thielen uh, was calling out the coaching. Uh, I didn't get the full details on that, but I, I just heard about that. Uh, But when you've got players calling out the play calling, uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, They they should have been able to take care of business at home, uh, but they weren't able to against Dallas. Now they go on the road where they don't fare as well. And Baltimore's off their bye. Plenty of time to prepare off a horrible loss against uh, a divisional rival that they were supposed to uh, beat pretty handedly. So uh, I I feel like there's going to be fire in their eyes and they're going to do enough to win. But I think you're going to get a very good effort from Minnesota here so I think it's going to be a tight game uh Scott they lost their center didn't they this week Minnesota
1: yeah the center's out and of course Daniel Hunter who leads the team he's tied for the lead with the team with 21 pressures and he has six sacks he is out for the year now as well
2: yeah th- those are tough those are tough things to uh, overcome so uh over the last five weeks I've got Minnesota up 1.6 points per Average team, and I've got Baltimore up 1.9, and my line basically is a little bit lower than the current line at 4.75. That's why I'm throwing Baltimore in the parlay.
0: Yeah, I hear you there, and I was leaning Minnesota's way, but for a couple reasons you mentioned, not going to pull the trigger on them. I, I was pretty perplexed by what we saw from them last week, as much as some things the Cowboys did were impressive with the Vikings. To go minus three yards per pass against Cooper Rush was a pretty big red flag. And offensively, of course, they did just go one for 13 on third down. So I'd expect some positive regression there for them and some high leverage moments against the Ravens. But speaking of the Ravens, this is uh, we're nearing last call for them for some home cooking. I believe their last road game was week four. I don't have their schedule in front of me, but they've been home for a long time and they could be in a really good spot, Chris, to your point, to bounce back in a big way from that embarrassing loss to the Bengals. So for me, just a lean to Minnesota, and Scott, you touched on Daniel Hunter being out, just a lean to the over for me. But if we uh, want to dig deeper, Scott, into how you see this one shaking out on Sunday, what does that look like?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, it's kind of a bad matchup for Minnesota in the sense that Baltimore, for my metrics, is number five rushing offense. The Vikings are number 24 in rushing defense. The Vikings, even though they're a run-oriented team, uh, I've got them number 31 uh, in rushing the ball this year. They're going to play face Baltimore number four rushing defense. Uh, the one positive is Baltimore's offensive line has not done a great job in protecting the quarterback, and the Vikings come in number two in pressure rate. But again, they're losing a key uh, piece of that with Daniel Hunter, so not sure how that'll affect them. Kind of to Chris's point here on the um, teaser, we pointed this out in the um, preseason shows for minnesota cousins now two and 17 straight up versus teams who won 10 plus games that year um and if we look at this year the teams they played who have a run rate of winning 10 or more games and we know there's an extra game this year but he's already owned three straight up against those teams baltimore is fitting that mode to possibly win 10 plus games and and they're actual 24 and six straight up against teams that don't win 10 plus games and they happen to be the Vikings, three and one straight up uh, against those teams this year. So they're playing this team that is pretty good. That Cousins is, and I wouldn't put it all on Cousins, but the Vikings as a whole um, have just not played well against and been able to beat straight up. So it kind of leads to the, uh, the teaser from that standpoint. And we pointed out Baltimore in the preseason as well, when they've been favored by now it's six and a half. Again, we're on that fringe, but they have typically, with Lamar Jackson, won those games straight up as well. So I actually kind of like Chris. Um, I make this number shorter Uh, from a number standpoint. I think I made it closer to about four. Uh, So there's some value there with Minnesota. Um, But I don't really like the matchup. And I think the the teaser might be a decent way to play this game because all things do signal Baltimore being able to win this game uh, at the end of the day, in, in my mind.
0: Yeah, and before we move on to the next game on the rundown here, the audience on YouTube can see Buffalo heading to Jacksonville. We can circle back very briefly on the Patriots-Panthers game that's next in the rotation order. Of course, we broke that one down on the Tuesday show, Chris taking the Patriots minus four. And uh, Chris, did you want to follow up on that briefly with just a bit of news we've gotten on some key pieces for the Panthers on Sunday?
2: I just saw it scroll across that McCaffrey and uh, Darnold are walking about. Uh, there's no update on their status, but uh, obviously McCaffrey's trending in. And uh, who knows whether Darnold, uh, after watching last night's uh, backup quarterbacks, maybe <laughs> they don't want Darnold in there. Uh, let's try out a new guy. But uh, that's the only uh, only thing that's been happening since Tuesday. Uh, we lost a half a point in value because McCaffrey's trending in. And... Uh, uh, I, I think he's going to play, and who cares if Donald, or Darnold plays, in, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, if uh, Week 8 was the week of the backups early on in Week 9, it's signaling a possible reality check, and, and we could see that some of these guys are starters for a reason across the league. So interesting to see what's going to go down if it's Walker under center, but maybe Darnold. Um, so we will move on to Buffalo-Jacksonville, where there is a stronger opinion on the game as we record this Friday morning Pacific time. The Bills laying 14 and a half on the road, total 48 and a half. And Chris, even though we're seeing a road favorite of more than two touchdowns, it's not quite enough in your book.
2: Well, you know, things have changed in the NFL. The haves and the have-nots are uh, are uh, becoming farther and farther apart, uh, like we've never seen before. We're going to see more bad teams this year than, than I think we've ever seen in a season. Uh, so... I've had to actually reevaluate what games I'm going to put on my men- betting menu uh, because I used to just delete those. I, I didn't even analyze those, and I noticed that big favorites are actually covering at big numbers, over 70 percent uh, laying 14 points or more coming into the season. I believe so. I went back and I checked, so I have to put them back in rotation. I looked back, and, and I would have been winning on you know over the re- recent two years. So. Uh, Buffalo is just miles better than Jacksonville, just miles. There's just no comparison. Look at the way Jacksonville showed up last week, and that was off a bye. I mean, geez, this team is not playing for Meyer. Meyer's in over his head. Uh, you know, he was looking for his own emails to get himself kicked out of there. So uh, <laughs> the uh, I'm on Buffalo in this game. It's minus 14 and a half at the moment. Uh, I I don't recommend betting it at minus 14 without waiting for some time to go by because it might dip down to a a 14, which is an important number. Uh, But uh, Robinson, starting uh, uh, running back, uh, was quoted, Urban Meyer was quoted this morning as saying, well, we're going to have to see what the pain threshold is. What does that tell you about the stability? It's like, well, if he could take it, we're going to put him in regardless. This is just a a battle of haves and have nots.
0: Yeah, and when I see a double digit road favorite, I might need to reprogram. My own train of thought is the outline Chris cuz I kind of just made this a pass immediately, but I hear what you're saying. A lot of best versus worst type of matchups in this one, and I wanted to follow up on your point about, you know, the haves and the have-nots in the NFL right now. I feel like it's really tough to pinpoint, you know, the top of the league, who's really any good. We started our Tuesday show this week with we talking about who is good right now. We're halfway through the season and it's still kind of hard to tell. So do you feel like that chasm between the haves and the have-nots might be saying more about the bottom of the league than the top as we sit right now heading into week nine?
2: Well, when you look at Buffalo, they have it all. I mean, where is their weakness? And uh, there are a handful of other teams that pretty much have, uh, you know, Dallas is looking pretty solid. Uh, you know, another team we pivoted on that we ridiculed her, you know, in divisional previews, boy, they've got a real shot. Uh, The Rams, if they stay healthy, they have a real shot. So there are teams out there that have it all. And, uh, you know, particularly with Buffalo, maybe Allen wants an MVP award. You know, we saw him, you know, get the cover last week at the last minute when they didn't need to. He went in. And it it, it seems like they're the type of team that they're they're kind of like going to be the Ohio State of the NFL. And when they can rack it on, they're going to rack it on.
0: Yeah, and Scott, we know that Buffalo could certainly rack it on, to use Chris's words, in this matchup. But at the same time, looking at the numbers, it seems like it's pretty close to where you make it.
1: Yeah, I made it 13 and half, 47 points. I, I kind of like to look at teams from a profile standpoint. Like, how have they done against similar type profiles? And, you know, looking back to Jacksonville, their defense was very good for a couple years there. They went to that AFC Championship game. But starting in 2019, their defense kind of started to fall apart. They were getting rid of players and whatnot. And since that time, uh, they're now five and ten against the spread as a home dog, including one and eight against the spread versus non-division teams. So when they're getting out of their non-division, out of their division at home as the inferior team, they're not performing well. They've allowed 27 or more points in eight of those nine non-division games. They've scored more than 19 in just two of those nine non-division games. And then to Chris's point, Buffalo, since the beginning of last year, we know Allen took off. They got Stefan Diggs. They really vastly improved that offense. Since the beginning of last year, when Buffalo has been a road favorite, favorite, they've scored 30 or more points with Allen in six of those eight games. And their defense is allowing uh, an average of uh, less than 10 points a game against below average offenses, which kind of gets you to a 31-17, give or take game. So, Um, And that's kind of, you know, what I laid out there. To me, that seems like a bottom point for Buffalo and it only potentially gets better. The one caveat I would put, I do follow situations. I've got some pretty good situations that are contrarian NFL that have worked for 40 years and they do apply to Jacksonville this week. So maybe this is a spot somehow Jacksonville comes in and gets the cover. But as Chris pointed out, I don't see it in the numbers. And I think this is a game where Buffalo could just steamroll them and they you know they're still trying to build this thing and get to a spot in the league and and keep getting better than you know they got last, they were last year etc so for them to pile on that would not shock me at all
0: Yeah, and the Bills looking to uh, probably regain their uh, spot on the fast track to the one seed and the AFC. Last week at this time, it was the Bengals who were playing the next game we're going to get to who temporarily had a grasp on the one seed until their loss to the Jets. This week, Cincinnati hosting Cleveland and the Bengals currently a a two-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 47. And we've all got some advantageous ways we're looking to get in play in this one. Scott, kick us off with a team total.
1: Yeah, I like, uh, and this is not really uh, a statement whether Cincinnati will win or cover this game, but I do like Cincinnati uh, over their team total points of 23 and a half. Again, the alternate here would be over the total of 47. Cincinnati, you know, despite that hiccup last week, they're number two in the league in generating big pass plays. Cleveland has had trouble defending big pass plays, so there might be some plays there. They're, they're number 23 in the league in defending big pass plays, which is 20 yards or more. Um, and Interesting enough, Cincinnati is scoring, and I know these teams are not the same as they were three, four, five years ago, but here against Cleveland at home, Cincinnati has scored 30 or more points, five of the last six years against Cleveland. And in just the last three games, which also means going to Cleveland, Cincinnati has scored 30 or more in the last three games. So they're scoring on this team. And the other note, just from a Cleveland standpoint, since the beginning of last year where they became a better team with, uh, with uh, Stefanski and whatnot, They've been a road dog six times, and they've allowed 33 or more points in all six of those games, which includes 33 against Kansas City this year, um, 37 against Arizona that was a home game, and 47 at the Chargers. Now, I don't think Cincinnati's offense is equatable to Kansas City or Arizona, maybe to the Chargers, but 23 and a half for a team total seems like a fairly low number for me, just kind of based on what Cincinnati has done to this team, and this might be the best offense they've had to go against Cleveland uh, in you know a number of years.
0: Yeah, well, by angle, fortunately not necessarily going head to head with you after that strong case you laid out for the Bengals team total, but I'm looking at the Browns in a teaser, taking them up to plus eight and a half. It's largely a number grab, getting through those key numbers of three and seven. I know it's uh, you know no OBJ, no problem for Cleveland, I think moving forward. And in a divisional matchup, I do think, um, despite some high point totals we've seen from these teams recently, that can sometimes mean less variance when these teams know each other fairly well. So less variance, always good when taking the underdog up through a touchdown in a teaser. And Chris, to kick it over to you, I want to talk about the Bengals' defense a little bit. Last week, allowed 32 first downs to Mike White and the Jets. That's an awfully high number. The defense on the field for more than 36 minutes and almost 80 snaps. I know they were one of the big, pleasant surprises early on in the season, but after that performance, where does the Bengals' defense rank now for you?
2: Um, Well, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I want to see how they come back because, you know, there's a team that we kind of have gone back and forth on with uh, uh, trying to figure out where they're going to be, and we agreed that if they stayed healthy, they're going to have a solid team. And they became the number one seed, and then they just laid this turd sandwich last time out. How are you know, good teams respond and come back strong? A team that's a pretender, now they kind of wilt away a little bit. So uh Cincinnati on defense, uh they're just outside my top ten. I don't know where they were before. I didn't I didn't take a mental note of that. But
0: uh I think you'd mentioned uh, them being inside the top ten a few times, so maybe this just, just bumped them to the periphery of that range.
2: Yeah, they dropped out there. It looked like they were about 12 or 13. They, they've they gained 1.4 points over the last uh, five weeks uh, against the average team, while Cleveland is is stumbled a little bit, and they've lost 3.6 uh, points. So uh, right here, I, I see Cleveland getting a little bit healthy. Uh, they gave OBJ a fantastic 29th birthday present and uh, sent him packing, so he can be happy today. And uh, I, I want to see what Cleveland is still doing is they're able to apply the pressure, and if they can apply the defensive pressure, that's going to make things tough on Burrow. Uh, my metrics still favor Cleveland here. I missed the three to bet. I, I like Cleveland in a teaser, uh, and I may only do the teaser if I can't get the three. I'm not. I, had, I don't have my mind fully made up yet, but I, I I actually still like Cleveland plus the two and a half. I think they're going to win this game outright. Uh, But I do like the uh, Cleveland getting the points on the teaser, too. Uh, I'm I'm pairing that up with a later game.
0: Yeah, likewise. And we'll get to that one uh, near the end of the show here. Uh, Some of the audience can probably tell where we're going with that if we know it's toward the latter end of this Week 9 slate. But before we get there, from one game pitting two AFC teams jockeying for playoff positioning to another with an AFC surprise heavyweight to this point in the season, the Raiders Traveling across the country to take on the Giants, were the Raiders a very juicy minus three, total forty-six and a half. and Chris, it's tough to know what to make of the Raiders' motivations in this one, and the Giants have had a lot of COVID news swirling around over the course of the week. So what do you make of this matchup as we record this Friday morning out west?
2: You know, this is just, uh, it's been an awful week. Uh, we have the uh, the rug situation, which happened uh, just down the road from my house, and uh It's just horrible. And uh, it's compounded by, you know, a teammate sending out a a silly tweet. Basically, I don't even remember the details, but it it made things even worse, uh, kind of rationalizing some of the behavior. So we don't know where their heads are at this point, because, uh, you know, when you lose a guy of that caliber and he's just gone overnight, how does the rest of the team respond i mean they, they, they were sitting so pretty uh i think they're five and two aren't they uh, first place uh yeah. so my metrics had to take las vegas but it was just a barely barely and with the rug situation i've kind of just been sitting this out i, I don't want to get involved and what's pushing this up from the two and a half it was is the COVID situation with the giants uh, they were looking to get a little healthier uh, Galladay was practicing. A few other people were practicing. It looked like they were going to get healthy. And now uh, we're going to have to wait for final COVID results to know, you know, if there are any uh, players that are going to, in fact, you know, miss or have problems. So I'm just going to sit this one out. The Giants have lost 4.5 uh, points per uh, uh, 4.5 points against the average team over the last five weeks. And Vegas has actually lost 1.25. So they're both trending down.
0: Really a quick follow-up, when you talk about these teams either gaining or losing points relative to the average team, I think you've used a five-week time frame a few times during this show. And what's your rationale? I know you're a pro better, so you've got a reason for doing this. What's the rationale for looking at that five-week horizon?
2: um, I keep a full season metric that's more important than the tailing five weeks, but I, I just like to take a glance at it. Uh, Because that may not necessarily tell you everything you need to know because maybe they had a really easy schedule or maybe they had a really tough schedule, but it's just another little reference point uh, that seems to to be enough data to at least have some sort of a uh, input or thought
0: consideration. Yeah, to your point, we need to be quick to pivot on teams over the course of a season. And so sometimes if we want to look at season-long numbers, that can be very informative, but it's not necessarily telling us a team's current form. And uh, Scott, I'll be pretty quick here before kicking it over to you, because this one's a pass for me as well. Um, Situationally, there's something to like about the Raiders being off their bye week and the Giants coming in off a short week, having played on the road on Monday night. And with the Giants' COVID situation, it seems pretty murky. Saquon, among others, it seems like there may have been some false positives. So we'll have to see where that nets out. But, yeah, I think, you know, Chris, you mentioned on Tuesday for uh, certain games, you almost need a psychology degree to figure out the motivations. Um, It is far above my pay grade to figure out what's going on in the Raiders' locker room right now. And I can't, you know, blame them for whatever effort they turn in on Sunday. So I'm going to go ahead and stay away from this one. It may be a bit of a lean to the Giants. Scott, how do you see this one going down?
1: Yeah, it's a pass for me too, Matt. It, it's it's unfortunate because um, you know if you if you could if that stuff would not to have happened, I kind of think I would have liked the Raiders here. I make them a little bigger than a three point favorite, but you know they're they're near the top of the league or top of the league in big pass plays. Giants are in the bottom ten generating big pass plays. That's a favorable thing, but Henry Ruggs was a big part of that, so I don't know what that's going to do to their offense. Um, and we know we we I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Giants five and 16 against the spread as a home dog uh only five of those games have they scored more than 18 points the Raiders since last year four and one to the over uh, as a road favorite scoring 31 or more in four of those five games so they were they were poised to really come here and, and and score a lot of points and and really probably beat the Giants pretty easily but without knowing their psychology here based on everything that's happened uh it's a pass for me and I'd rather see what's going to happen rather than guess and be wrong. And so I'll just be sitting on the sideline and just watching.
2: Yeah, I think that you just have to sit this one out. The margin of error on this game uh, was just too close. And you just have to believe that you can't be betting on teams that have distractions like this. This isn't the type of distraction where you can just ignore it and just dive in heavier. You know, this is you know life-changing stuff that you know affects people. Uh, and, and I just don't want to be in a position of of backing a team that has those distractions.
0: Yeah, well said. Well, I think we're in a good spot to move on at this stage. And before we get to the next game in the rundown on the right side of the screen, a game, once again, we covered on Tuesday, but Scott and I, some new bets to break down. And that pertains to Atlanta taking on the Saints, where New Orleans is laying six and a half, total 41 and a half. Chris, I know you laid the six on Tuesday, so you got a good number there. And I'm looking at the total in this one. Over the past few days, I've really come in uh, much more optimistic on the under 41.5. Basically, neither offense in this one going to be explosive, most likely. The Saints were last in the league in explosive plays with Jameis Winston at quarterback, so I don't expect to get that better in a major way with either Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill. And the Falcons not far behind the Saints when it comes to explosive plays, and that was before losing Calvin Ridley. We also know the Falcons' offensive line not good in pass protection against stout defensive fronts like what the Saints bring to the table. So with two pretty tame offenses and one very good defense in the Saints, I know 41 and a half is getting pretty low as far as totals go. 41 is a key number, so this is my floor as far as buy price is concerned. But at 41 and a half, still liking the under in the Falcons Saints game. And, Scott, how are you looking to potentially get in play here?
1: I, I would have a pretty strong lean here, uh, Matt, on using the Saints in a money-line parlay. Um, you know, I went against Atlanta last week really kind of for the same reasons here. Atlanta, number 32 in the league in run offense. Uh, Saints are number one. Carolina was very good defending the run as well. So I don't see any way Atlanta's going to be able to run the ball on them here. And since the beginning of last year, Falcons are 1-4 against the Sprout, 0-5 straight up. Um, on the road as a dog against teams who make the playoffs. We'll see if the Saints make the playoffs or not, uh, given some of the situations here. You know, it's a maybe a three point adjustment with Winston not being in there. It's not huge. Um, and with Taysom Hill coming back now, I know he's not going to start, but they'll probably throw him in there like they used him before. That might be a little bit beneficial, a little bit of change up for this offense as well. Uh, I, I just don't see the Saints not winning the game. So, uh, from a money line parlay or teaser, Price it out. If you're laying 120 in a six-point teaser, price out the money line. Uh, we're gonna th- we're gonna tie them up to another team here. Just see what your better price is, um, and 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 use whatever is uh, better to your advantage.
2: I, you know, you're the team total guy. I don't see how Atlanta goes over 17 and a half in this game. It's going to be tough for them, don't you think?
1: Uh, I agree. I made the total uh, just under 41 in this game, and I favor the Saints by 8.8. So. Uh, I'd have to look at what my projection was, but yeah, I'm sure that's showing up under 17 and a half. Good point.
0: Yes, we've got Chris laying the points with the Saints, myself on the under. Scott looking at New Orleans in a money line parlay and shop around. Maybe some good value on the Falcons team total under as well. That takes us to the end of the early window on Sunday, so we'll call a quick timeout for the YouTube audience. Go ahead and give us a thumbs up. Jump in the chat. Let us, you know. Let us know, excuse me, what you think as we work our way down the week nine card. And with that, we will hit the late window, starting with the Chargers at the Eagles. Chargers, a two point favorite right now, total 49.5. This is another game we touched on on Tuesday. Scott teasing the Eagles up to plus eight. And Chris, what do you think of this matchup as we've had a few more days to think about it?
2: Uh, You know, I'm all over the place on this one. Uh, I. I'm hoping that this does not hit three, because then I have to bet Philadelphia. And it very well may hit three. I generally do not look at betting percentages, and I I do not recommend anybody uh, treat betting percentages with that much influence in their betting decisions. But when the betting markets start to hit the 90% level, then I'm going to start to check a bunch of different places. I have resources to check with, you know, sportsbook managers. And uh, there's various different sites with different uh, inputs. And And this game is hitting at 89% Charger money. And when it gets to be 90%, then I start to feel a little bit better. So now maybe I do want the Chargers to hit that three mark so that I can take Philadelphia. Because when you see it all that one way and the line isn't moving hard that really says something. So, uh, But my brain, which is usually wrong, says that this is a wrong, long teaser leg with the Eagles because the Chargers could go out there and, and, and leave the Eagles in the dust. So I have a lot of conflict in this game. We're just going to have to see how the weekend develops on this.
0: Yeah, and I've got some conflict with it too, but uh, not enough to stay on the sidelines anymore. I have gone ahead and gotten in play on the Chargers, minus two, I simply think that number is understating the gap between these two teams. And if we look at the Eagles against any decent team they've played this season, they've been down by at least two scores in every fourth quarter. I think a lot of their offensive metrics that might have some of the uh, bigger you know, betting syndicates getting in on them seemingly every week, uh, some of those metrics that look favorable for the Eagles, largely coming from a lot of garbage time production, defensively, they run a pretty vanilla scheme, so I think it might be tough for them to muddle things up and confuse Justin Herbert the same way we've seen the Ravens and Patriots do in the last couple Chargers games. So I'm on the Chargers minus two, but I do have a lot of respect for the two-way action we've seen in this one. I know I'll be kicking myself for fading the market if the Eagles go ahead and cover, knowing that a lot of sharp money has come in on Philadelphia, but I also know I'd be kicking myself for fading my process if I sat on the sidelines and the Chargers went ahead and covered So I'm, yeah, taking the dip on the Chargers minus two. And Scott, again, you got in play with the Eagles in a teaser. How do you feel about that a few days after first breaking it down on Tuesday?
1: Well, hey, first of all, we can both win here. So that that would be great. Um, Yes. And I think the question becomes, how good are the Chargers? I don't know how good they are. Because to your point, you know, Philly lost by 12 at home, I think, to KC. and, And they even got a late score there. That game was much worse. They lose by six to San Fran. That game, I think, was a little bit tighter. Um, I don't know how good the Chargers are. I here's what I do know. I, I I should, I guess I'll back up. How can I lose this game? Well, Philly doesn't throw the ball great. Chargers can throw the ball. And obviously, if you can pick up big plays in the in the passing game, uh, you're gonna score more points more than likely than a team who can run the ball. But I do know they can run the ball very well. The Chargers have had a lot of problems stopping the run. So if Philly can control the game from that standpoint, they can negate some of that. And getting them on a teaser, asking them to, to lose basically by seven or less uh, works. But I do have reservations because, again, if the Chargers can throw the ball all over the field, and we've seen a few teams do that on Philly this year, um, then this game may not be close in the end. So, uh, But I do have a model that kind of predicts where a teaser is going to be a profitable and it spits it out saying Philly, so I'm on Philly in this game as a teaser.
0: Scott, still on that teaser with the Eagles up to plus 8, and I have taken the plunge on the Chargers minus 2. So uh, fingers crossed there's that path to victory for both of us, so we'll see how that one unfolds on Sunday in Philly. And moving on to our next game involving an AFC West team taking on an NFC uh, you know, traditional heavyweight, the Packers, traveling to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Kansas City a 7-point favorite in this one. Total of 48. And Chris, we've seen the line move off of the Aaron Rodgers news on Wednesday. Uh, It sounds like you might think the line has over-adjusted for his absence.
2: But uh, I had this as Green Bay minus two coming in. And when I was able to bet it, it was plus seven and a half. It's plus seven now. I still like it at the plus seven. I don't think Rodgers is worth nine points. And we we just saw it last night. We've seen it in a bunch of games this year. The backups come in, and they're actually doing darn tootin' well sometimes. So uh, they have plenty of time to prepare. A lot of people are down on this love guy. I haven't seen this guy trip over himself in a game yet. Uh, I don't know why they're so down on him. You know, Let's find out how good he is uh, their offense is solid. They get Adams back. They have a solid offense that should be able to, they just want this guy to not make mistakes. And if he goes in there and does not make mistakes, they can stay in this game easily. I believe that the, that green Bay, uh, is better in their current form going in this week than the giants were last week. So, uh, getting, getting seven, seven and a half points. Uh, I, I like it.
0: Yeah, taking the points against the Chiefs hasn't steered people wrong. Um, I would say that in this one, uh, first off, just the matchup. I love the Packers-Chiefs. I think of this almost as a Bart Starr-Len Dawson special going back to the heyday for these teams. With the Packers, I was initially angling to possibly fade them after last week. An impressive win in Arizona, but they went plus three in turnovers, and that really drove their ultimate fate because... They lost yards per play by almost a full yard and a half in Arizona. That said, with the Chiefs still waiting for them to figure things out. I mean, I'd be more interested uh, rather than the spread and total in this one on a line for Kansas City over one and a half turnovers because it's just starting to seem like clockwork. And I can't wait for that to end anymore. Um, not going to back the Chiefs either in the state of their current offense. So it's a pass for me. Uh, Kansas City seemed like a decent teaser option. But I also understand, Chris, what you're saying about the Packers. Scott, what do you make of this one Packers at the Chiefs with no Aaron Rodgers?
1: Well, I I value Rodgers at about seven points, um, but kind of to Chris's point, I also think that matters in who you're playing, too, and the Packers are, to a degree, set up to even succeed with Jordan Love based on the opponent they're going to get here. Because it's a Kansas City team that's really having a lot of problems. Now, they pick up Melvin Ingram. I believe they're moving Chris Jones back into the middle of that defensive line. We'll see if that helps Kansas City from a defensive standpoint. But Kansas City, like like you guys have said, they got a lot of problems. They're not winning games by margin here. So if Jordan Love can avoid turning the ball over, there might be enough makeup here. And they might get Bakhtiari back. Uh, Matt LaFleur has. said he's not going to say when when Bakhtiari is coming back he's not going to give anyone an advantage on that So he could come back in this game possibly which would also be an added boost as well um you know the the one concern here KC is number one in the league for me in success rate run offense Packers number 32 so maybe KC can move the ball that way a little bit um and my only other problem with Green Bay metrics from a metric standpoint they are just not looking good for me um and so I'm kind of still waiting and waiting and waiting for the dam to break on them. And, you know, to a degree, maybe this has just been Aaron Rodgers. He's so dang good that he's, you know, kind of kept them afloat uh, and, and whatnot. So I don't know what to think of all that. I'm staying away from the game. I would not lay the points with Kansas City. Um, and I understand Chris's uh, position with taking um, Green Bay as well. And I don't have a problem with that, but no play for me.
0: Got it. Yeah, well, we can move on to the next game uh, where one of us does have a play, and that would be the team the Packers beat last week, the Cardinals traveling to San Francisco. Niners currently a two-point favorite, total 45. Of course, this line has been all over the map as we've tried to figure out what to make of Kyler Murray's status heading into this one. Scott, let's kick it off with you and how you see this one going down on Sunday in Santa Clara.
1: I originally, early in the week, Matt, I played San Francisco on a teaser as well. that that's obviously gone now with them being favored. I do think uh, San Francisco is going to be able to exploit the Cardinals a little bit here um, with because, just because the Cardinals are number twenty nine in rush defense, and San Francisco can run the ball a little bit here. So uh, I think there's a potential edge there for San Francisco. Um, but I'm kind of beyond that, I'm kind of just sitting on the sideline waiting. Because I don't know what's happening with Arizona. I don't know if Murray's playing. I don't know if AJ Green's playing. Uh, I don't know if Hopkins is playing. Um, we know Kittle comes back. That helps. So if if you assume all those guys play and Kittle's coming back, I make Arizona maybe about a one and a half point favorite. But I gotta wait and see who's playing with uh, for Arizona here. But I do think there's a little bit of a matchup, at least from a running standpoint, that San Francisco could exploit. And of course, if uh, Arizona's down some of these key people. Uh, that will be ad, uh, uh, advantage San Francisco. For me, though, I'd, I'd only play San Francisco in a teaser, and if they're favored, of course, that's out the window. So, uh, you know, for sh- purpose of show purposes here, uh, no play for me.
0: Yeah, and I'll say it is a play for me. I would have loved to tease them earlier. A good move on your part getting down at that number when you could. But at anything less than the three, and in this case, we've got the Niners at minus two, I'm good to go ahead and back them. I think about the team's Week 5 matchup in Arizona. It was Trey Lancet quarterback for San Francisco, no George Kittle. The Niners still won yards per play. They pretty much only lost that game by a 17-10 to 10 margin because they were 1-5 for five on 4th downs, including a crucial 4th and 1 uh, at the goal line. So that was a pretty evenly played game, despite the fact that the Niners were really shorthanded. This week, I think it's the Cardinals who are shaping up to be shorthanded. Of course, we're in San Francisco. Jimmy G is going to be the quarterback instead of Trey Lance. Kittle's in line to be back, and that's a big boost for both the pass and rush games for the Niners. The Cardinals, the team that could be looking at a backup quarterback or, at best, a hobbled starter, plus some other key injuries that you touched on, Scott. I think the key matchup, as you touched on as well, that Cardinals rush defense, trying to contain that Niners rush offense, that might get out of hand in this one. I think the line's going to close at Niners minus three if and when we get word that Murray is out. And if he's limited, I still like the Niners to win this one. So San Francisco minus two in pocket for me. Chris, I can't help but think of your phrase, the banana in the tailpipe, laying two when I could have had a decent plus number earlier in the week. So uh, where am I wrong on this one? Or how do you see this one playing out?
2: Well, I I got some information yesterday afternoon before the line moved that uh, Murray's not going to play. And... Uh, so i have a huge position on san francisco plus one and pick and i actually want to bet the other side but boy it's just tough as uh, scott mentioned uh, aj green's not going to be able to play hopkins we don't know whether he's going to play uh jambler jones we don't know if he's going to play uh i'm pretty sure murray's out and uh but i think colt mccoy can step in i think he's a veteran he has uh, he did really well in in, uh, mop, uh, in, in uh, uh, backup duties last year, and I think he can step in and I can do, I think he can do adequately well. But boy, you know when you look at uh, San Francisco getting Kittle back, I always I've said it over and over that's a different team, and they scare the bejesus out of me. So I don't want to play Arizona, and I'm looking for excuses not to play Arizona. But I think when they announce Murray out. This thing could sail past the three, just like uh, it did with Minnesota-Dallas last week. And and I I just won't be able to leave that on the table. I'll have to step in with Arizona. I'm off this game right now. As uh, you said, Matt, this this game should go to at least three. So that's what I'm going to be buying back my uh, San Francisco position on and root for a middle. And if it goes higher than that, I'll probably end up on Arizona, even with Colt McCoy.
0: Yeah, well, plenty to monitor over the next 48 hours or so as it pertains to the Cardinals quarterback situation. As we move to primetime, no concerns this Sunday night about who's going to be under center when the Titans take on the Rams. The Rams currently laying seven and a half at reduced VIG, minus 105, total sitting at 53, and we're all involved in this one with Rams teasers. Scott, you teased the Rams with the Eagles. What's your rationale for that move?
1: Uh, yeah, I teased them. I favor the Rams by about six and a half points, projecting about 52 points. Tennessee's off of three straight wins as an underdog. That's usually a pretty bad situation for a team. Now going on the road against a winning team gets a little bit more powerful from week 11 on a little bit later in the season. Uh, but nonetheless, they're still up against it a little bit there. Um, I just think the Rams are a, a better team here. I respect what Tennessee's done at this point. Um But I do think the Rams, they're number nine in the league for me in run offense, Tennessee number 26. I think the Rams will be able to run the ball some here. Uh, I think they're also going to be able to throw the ball because they've been able to throw the ball all year. Um, So, you know, we're basically getting them to just win the game, essentially, uh, you know, at least by, I guess, two points. So um, I feel that they have a pretty decent chance to do that. And I think Tennessee potentially now is going to be in a little bit of a letdown spot here. Um, And I I think the Rams will, will win this game.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there, and I like the angle of just taking the Rams. Is the superior team at home to do a little more than win outright? This is closing out the teaser that I mentioned earlier with the Browns. So Cleveland plus 8.5 paired with the Rams, minus 1.5. I just think with the Titans losing Derrick Henry, the Rams defense getting Von Miller, that's just enough of a nudge to feel extra confident in the Rams winning this one by at least a field goal. And Chris, it's a Rams-Browns teaser for you as well.
2: Yeah, you know, and it, what a crying shame that uh, we talked about this at the beginning of the year What Tennessee was misusing Henry, and th- they were using him even more this year, and sure enough, he breaks down, and it, it's just a crying shame because uh, what a talent, and you don't like to see that happen. You want to see these teams at their best. I have both of these teams gaining three points in value over the last five weeks, uh, and Boy, isn't it going to be amazing to see Donald on, one, or Donald on one side and Miller on the other side? If they stay healthy, geez, that's a hell of a defense to have to go through. And you don't have Henry. But I have this line uh, under a touchdown here. I don't want to get involved in it because of the variables. So that's why I, I use the uh, the teaser option with Cleveland. Uh, I'm starting to worry a little bit about Stafford. Uh, as a Detroit fan, when his back starts bothering him, he's going to miss some time. Uh that the back is the key. You know, he can sit there and you've seen the highlights of him with that 90-second video where he goes back in and he's got a broken arm or something like that or or dislocated shoulder. He can do that, but the back, you can't do anything when the back goes bad. So uh, keep an eye on that.
0: Yeah, you talked earlier about pain tolerance, I believe, for Robinson with Jacksonville. No question about Stafford's toughness when it comes to playing through pain. Uh, But for the Rams in this one, he might not be in too much pain against a Titans pass rush that's not known to put quarterbacks under too much pressure, but definitely something to monitor in the coming weeks as far as it goes for the Rams. And one defense unlike the Titans that's known to pressure quarterbacks quite well, the Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Bears on Monday night, laying six and a half at reduced Vig, low total of 39. And we've got some action in this one as well. Chris, tell us how you're getting play on Pittsburgh.
2: This, this is difficult because uh, these is teams are it. just so boring, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so it, 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 I have the metrics that say Pittsburgh's supposed to cover, but you know the eye test just doesn't work with this. Uh, can you can you possibly see Pittsburgh getting any separation against anybody at this point? Uh, Chicago's getting Mac back probably, and they're getting uh, Scott can update the other injuries on on there. But uh, they're getting a little bit healthier. Uh, and Pittsburgh has this tradition of of not being able to beat bad teams. They seem to just you know I remember Washington last year when they were undefeated, and Washington just goes into Pittsburgh. And and just crushes them. It, it, you just don't know. But I, I do like Pittsburgh enough here to have them in a parlay with uh, uh, Baltimore. And uh,
0: I just Money worry about the.
2: Soft, I just worry about how soft they are against the weaker teams. But uh, they're the better team here.
0: Yeah, an enthusiastic endorsement of the Steelers from Chris. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm just going to say that for Monday night. I wish we could have flex scheduling at this age of the season. Um, I wish the Mannings weren't taking the week off, but they're probably glad they are with this matchup. I was inclined to look the Bears' way just with a total this low. It's calling for an awfully high degree of dominance from the Steelers. But looking at this matchup a bit more, Pittsburgh could get there. The Bears were minus 3.8 yards per play last week at home to the Niners. And I'm starting to you know, come around on the fact, again, Chris, the common theme, being willing to pivot in season the Steelers might be better than I gave them credit for before the season kicked off. So I want to be aware of that and give them credit for what they've been accomplishing again with a spread at this many points, this low of a total, an awfully high degree of dominance needed just a lean for me, Chicago's way Scott, what do you make of this Monday night showdown?
1: Well, if we're going to try to look at it from a Chicago perspective to be positive, they've actually run the ball. Okay. This year Steelers haven't been great defending the run. So maybe the bears get something there. Uh, And the other thing is at this line, um, right now Pittsburgh's an average team, typically large favorites like this as an average team against bad teams that doesn't perform well. So there, there's some positives there for Chicago, but the problem that I think Chicago is going to have are number 32 in the league in allowing sack percentage, Justin Fields is allowing, he's being sacked in 14.1% of his passes. That is unbelievably high. And here come the Steelers number three in pressure rate. I just don't see how Chicago can throw the ball at all. And if they get behind at all, I just don't know how they're going to move the ball with Justin Fields. And yeah, they can run the ball a little bit, but I just don't know if they can stay, uh, you know, and, and I know Pittsburgh's not going to score a ton of points here. Pittsburgh is is what they are, but I, I just don't have any confidence in Justin Fields being able to move the ball down the field if he has to do it through the air and they're not protecting him, and he's, you know, maybe holding out of the ball too long and all that. So, But I think the safer way to play this is a Moneyline parlay. Uh, I would look to parlay them up with uh, the Saints that we talked about earlier and use it that way and not have to rely on them to win by margin in this game. Because who knows if they will, to Chris's point.
2: You know, I'd like to add, because this is the first game the entire season to even consider this option. Uh, it's not something I necessarily recommend, but it's one of the few, few times where you could do a same-game teaser and it wouldn't be awful uh, the, when you have a low, the only time you should be teasing totals basically are in low totals. Uh, and this is a very low total. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're desperate to, get, to tease a game, this isn't the worst possible uh, example to use. Uh, Pittsburgh's gained 525 Points versus the average team over the last five weeks—that's a huge jump. It's like number two, number three in the league. So, man, they—they they have been making this uh, this big uh, rise that uh, is deserved. It. It's showing in the stats.
0: Yeah, and when you touch on the. Same game teaser possibility. Uh, Obviously, that would be taking the side of the Steelers down to minus half a point, just basically asking them to win outright. As far as the total goes, you mentioned a low total. Are you thinking going under 45, getting up to a key number? Or would you like to take the 39 down even further and just go over because it's so hard not to at least get to the mid 30s in the NFL?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not recommending this. I'm just pointing it out that this is the closest you're going to get to an example where it's okay. You're not doing a horrible thing by doing it. But, yeah, I would definitely lean toward uh, uh, taking the under. I don't know where the points are going to come from in this game.
0: Yeah, we've got an unofficial money line parlay. Scott's looking at with the Steelers and the Saints. And, Chris, making it official, the Steelers on the money line parlayed with the Ravens. Scott, did you have one more thing to jump in on here?
1: Nope, I'm, I'm good there, Matt.
0: Cool. All right, I thought I, I thought I saw the hand coming up. We, we thought we had some signs going on, but uh, we're good to go here. That wraps up our Week 9 card. Let's get to a recap of our best bets. We've got a full-screen graphic for the YouTube audience, and it is a full-looking card. Chris, along with Scott and myself, on the Texans plus 5.5, Chris also making that money line parlay we just touched on. The Ravens paired with the Steelers also laying the points with the Bills. Minus 14 and a half on the road. Not enough in Chris's eyes in Jacksonville. Chris on a two-team teaser. As am I, the Browns plus eight and a half with the Rams minus one and a half. Chris also on the Packers plus seven. And don't forget from the Tuesday show, Chris on the Patriots minus four and the Saints minus six. So uh, it's, it's a pretty loaded card for Chris this week. And some volume for myself as well. We touched on the Texans plus five and a half. That teaser with the Browns plus eight and a half tied to the Rams minus one and a half. Also taking the Chargers minus two with the Eagles and the Niners minus two hosting the Cardinals. Anticipating that line moves up once we get more news on Murray's status. And not listed here. I'll drop it in the comment section of this YouTube video to have it documented. Also on the Saints hosting the Falcons under 41 and a half. And as far as things go for Scott, it's unanimous on the Texans, plus five and a half. Scott also on the Houston team total, over 19 and a half. The Bengals team total, over 23 and a half, hosting the Browns. And Scott's teaser this week, the Eagles, plus eight, hosting the Chargers and the Rams, minus one and a half, hosting the Titans. All right, guys, I'm almost out of breath after all that. A lot of action to get to this weekend, so it's going to be really interesting to recap week nine when we get back together on Tuesday for now that's all we've got for the week nine pick show thanks for tuning in no I, oh, Chris, I have Chris, two updates oh Chris Chris get us up. your updates before I turn this off and let me catch my breath jump in here
2: don't take the plus five and a half because it's plus six now so you can get plus six on this on the go. Houston game and they just announced McCaffrey is upgraded to questionable so that line
1: may drop a little bit more
0: and no and practice
1: for Kyle, Kyler Murray today either. So, right. to your point.
0: Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, the Niners line could be on the move up. An, an upgrade to maybe for Christian McCaffrey and the Texans now available. I mean, if we all like him at 5.5, then even better at the plus 6. So, thanks again for tuning in today. Thanks for those last-minute updates, guys. Always trying to keep our finger on the pulse of things as we do this in real time during a big moment of the NFL news cycle every week. Again, if you're with us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a quick thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, jump in the comments with your thoughts on our bets, and you can always get in play on these bets yourself at BetUS. Sign up if you haven't already using that promo code NFL2021 for a 125% sign up bonus. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in and bearing with the technical difficulties. Hopefully the action gives us some positive results for week nine. Best of luck this weekend. We're back with you on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific for a Week 9 recap and an early look at Week 10. We'll see you then right back here at BetUS where the game begins.